1: Uh, And uh, good morning. I am not alone here at the uh, Minnesota State Fair, (laughs) our broadcast center. Uh, I'm going to give you our phone number and our text number in just a moment. But uh, it's good to see Julie and John this morning and Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M. uh, John Trappy from the U of M. And maybe to make it a little more precise, Julie, good morning. Yeah, good good morning. morning. Good to see you guys. It's been three years since we've been here. I kind of know it. It's
4: exciting to be back. It
1: really is, <laughs> and uh, but for those that don't know, uh, of course, Julie Weisenhorn uh, has been with us for many years, answering those lawn and garden questions. And they came in. the The, the text started coming in about two hours ago, as a matter of fact. Awesome. But for those that don't know, uh, John, maybe you could do a little introduction for us, Julie.
4: Yeah, Dr. John Trappi. He is my colleague, friend, and our turf educator and extension and uh, has been on the show before, was been, was on the show before you actually were in Extension. That's correct. And then you went off and did something for a while and came back to us, so we're happy you're here. Very happy to be back. Going on your one-year anniversary, I think, pretty Coming much. Coming up fast. Cool.
1: Yeah, so if you do have a specifically a lawn question, a yeah. turf question, this is your day. He's a guy. Yeah, to uh, <laughs> call us or text us, 651 461 9226. Certainly anybody here at the fair, if you want to come up and ask a question, a uh, lawn and garden question, we'll do it here, as well as our usual uh, phone call and uh, text messages. And uh, we got, as I mentioned, we, uh, we had a text I thought was an interesting question uh, earlier this morning. Uh, this came in, and maybe we could, we could talk about this one. The uh, question is, what can we do in our own yards to help combat climate change? Oh, Very man. timely question.
4: Big question. Um, well, one of the first things that you can do is certainly choose plants that are resilient to the changing climate. So we have these big extremes. We have extreme rains where we get lots and lots of water all at one time, and then we can go into a drought after that. And then we have droughts. So we have plants. That's pretty hard on plants. It's hard on humans too, but it's hard on plants too. So choosing plants that grow really well in your conditions that you have and then uh, can tolerate these big swings in moisture. That's one of the things we can certainly do. That will make the plants more resilient, less susceptible to pests, less pesticide use, uh, and you'll also have a better performing landscape through these difficult times.
2: Yeah, and and for lawns, it really just echoes the exact same thing there. Your biggest impact on reducing your uh, your, uh, environmental imprint or footprint is the turfgrass species and cultivar that you have planted there and there's a lot of great options a lot of newer improved cultivars that are needing less mowing less fertilizer fewer pesticides so planting things like that is a is your biggest impact or your biggest uh, potential change there Uh, and those just to you know not to bury the lead or anything but uh, those are fine fescues and turf type tall fescues are those low input turf grasses
1: you know, I think about the uh, the last uh, couple of summers, actually, with with this lack of rainfall, and right. my front yard does not look good. And you've heard this song before, I know, <laughs> both <laughs> of you. But what can we do? Can that ever come back? I mean, what 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 can we do maybe over the fall and winter to to help? in the spring for that lawn to come back
2: so uh, you know the the last three summers have certainly been and winters for that matter have been really rough on our lawns and uh so as a result you know we've just been slowly chipping away and losing some some turf grasses uh and they've been replaced by invasive weeds for example like crabgrass or foxtails so The the best and the fall is the best time to try to recover your lawn. And so, you know, they may look really rough right now because we're, you know, back again into a little bit of a drought stretch. Uh, But you know, they may be dormant. Uh, They may actually be recovering if we get a little bit more regular Mm -hmm. rainfall this fall. Um, But the big thing is to focus on uh, proper fertilization this fall. Uh, Maybe do some weed control for perennial broadleaf weeds, uh, and uh, and then just set yourself up for next year uh, because. Uh, having a great lawn starts the previous fall. And right now, literally this week, is, is the ideal time to start doing that.
1: And you, you said it again. You've mentioned this before, too, and Julie has, too. Fertilization, lawn fertilization, is really fall. I mean, if I were to decide spring or fall, fall would be better, right, for Absolutely. the lawn?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're basically you know, establishing that root system that is going to be more drought-tolerant next year is by fertilizing, filling in those voids, uh, any open spaces that may have uh, happened and, and trying to make a, a place where weeds can't get into.
4: And I think sometimes, too, it's choosing, uh, deciding where plants will do the best. So it's choosing the right plant for the right place. A lot of people have heard that before. So in some cases, you want, I mean, you want to put your lawn in an optimal location. Full sun, uh, don't plant it under trees. Use mulch and use some uh, shade-tolerant perennials under those trees. Just because it's too hard on the grass... To yeah. grow, and, it, and it's really hard on your trees, too. And trees are another way that we can actually do a really good job of countering some of the effects of climate change in our own backyards. We can add shade. They can be energy um, uh, savings. They can protect your house. They can shade your home. And they also provide huge habitat for important beneficial insects, birds, and animals.
1: You know, Anthony, maybe this is a good point to talk uh, in time uh, to talk about the uh, university website because I've used that over the years to think, what about this shrub here? What about this? Or tomato plants for that matter, or whatever. That is really, uh, you and your colleagues have put in a lot of good, you know, uh, labors of love uh, getting that. uh, Let let me just mention it uh, extension.umn.edu. If you've never checked it out, do so. Do it today. And, right. uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff on there.
4: Excellent information.
1: Yeah. And, and if, you're, if you've you, if never checked it out, do so. Do it today. And, right. uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff on there.
4: Excellent information.
1: Yeah.
2: And, and if you're going to come down to the fair, we do have an Aster uh, in the Agriculture and Horticulture Building. We have Ask a Master Gardener. Uh, and the turfgrass booth uh, has turfgrass experts answering questions. So if you're here at the State Fair, it's a great opportunity I'm well. a glad, I'm glad, John, you brought yeah. that up
1: uh, at the Court Building. Uh, and, and Master Gardeners, we've said it before because I've always thought Master Gardeners over the years were these people that knew all this great stuff that I don't know, and that's still <laughs> true. But but you guys and your colleagues, rather, are, are educators. That's what you do.
4: We are. That's our job is to help people and help people solve problems. So yeah. we enjoy doing the detective work.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I tell you what, if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, this is your hour. Whether it be lawns or gardens, you can call or text 651 And last report, by the way, you guys found it a little cool here this morning. Yeah, right? Quite pretty a nice the today. A <laughs> couple of days. Uh, officially, we have 62 degrees, and uh, 74 will be the predicted high today. Yeah, that's Quite a, good, a, bit of that's a good day in Minnesota. We've already had uh, huge crowds here at the fair, and the sun is out. And if you pick today as the day, today and tomorrow for that matter, coming to the right. fair, you are in luck. Stay with us here at Newstalk 830. This is WCCO. And a good Saturday morning to you. Denny Long back with uh, Julie Weisenhorn, John Trappy from the University of Minnesota. We are talking lawns and gardens, getting a lot of questions, not only uh, uh, by phone and by text, but here at the fair as well. In fact, uh, Julie, uh, you got uh, visited by, uh, by a listener out here.
4: Yeah, one of our listeners right out here in the audience asked about planting trees. Uh, and as I understand the question, they're planting six maple trees, autumn blaze maples, which are great choices for landscapes and wanted to know how to plant them. So one of the important things about trees is not to plant them too deeply. So trees come in containers. Sometimes you have to remove some of the soil in the containers because the plant has been growing deeply in this container for quite a while. And so you want to feel that, you want to look at that uh, plant, take it out of the container and remove any of the topsoil that you see that might be covering up what's called the root flare. That's the point at which at the base of the trunk, that the, that the roots flare out from the base. So think of like just a flare, and you want those roots to be at surface level. So you don't wanna bury those too deeply. That's a sure uh, a sure bet that you're gonna eventually kill the tree by burying it too deeply. So make sure that root flare, you might have to take some of that soil out, remember, and then make sure that that root flare is, uh, is growing. Now, one of the other things too, Is that you might find in that container some roots that are circling around. After you dig out those roots, you want to prune those off. That's okay to do that. You're not going to hurt the tree, so that you don't encourage these what are called stem girdling roots to develop around that. Sometimes it happens that when the plant is buried so deeply, those stem girdling roots kind of raise up above the root flare and start to choke the tree. So, uh, and then you want to plant it at the level of the root flare. And dig a wider hole rather than a deeper hole. So about twice as wide as the tree, and uh, and set that at the same level with the uh, with that root flare showing, so that it sits a, just slightly above the surface of the soil. You can backfill it with the same soil that you took out. You don't need to necessarily amend it. And then you definitely want to water those trees. So we have a great web page called Water Wisely, and uh, it includes watering uh, watering newly planted trees. And definitely follow the guidelines. There's actual measurements. You measure the trunk, and then you can look and see how much water your tree is going to need every single day for a period of time, and especially as we go into the fall. So you can just follow that. It's a nice grid there that you can just follow that chart, and then be sure to water those trees. And last but not least, mulch the tree. Put wood mulch around it. Make a nice big ring around it, uh, at least six feet, even though it looks like it might be really large for those smaller trees that you're planting, but that's going to really encourage. It's going to protect the roots. It's going to also uh, keep that soil moisture in the soil, and also it's going to cool the roots too. As we have hot days, you'll be amazed when you feel that soil under that mulch how cool it is, and that's important for reducing the transplant stress of trees.
1: All right, very good. Thanks for the question. Let's uh, grab a phone call or two. I believe Steve's calling in from Greenwood this morning. Steve, thanks for uh, waiting. What? Uh, what's your question? Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, earlier this summer, we had a weird plant growing, and here I find out it's a moonflower. And and those flowers are so pretty. And now we got uh, oh, we must have eight, ten coming all the time. But they only last a day or two, and then they got those green. Like golf ball sized spiny balls, I presume are the seed pods. And I'm just wondering how do I take care of those and then either plant them in the fall or plant, plant them in the spring so I can keep that moonflower going?
4: So the moonflower is a f- part of the uh, morning glory family, and so it will produce its own seeds from those pods. And it will drop them all over the place. You will always have moonflowers forever and ever. (laughs) Uh, That's just part of the way that the plant keeps its prodigy going, I guess. And uh, and so you can collect those pods when they're dry, and you can save those seeds, open them up and save those seeds in a cool, dry place. But really, you're not going to need to do anything. The plant will totally take care of itself.
1: All right. 651 That's a phone call and that's a text number as well. So either whichever is easy or come to the uh, right up at our broadcast center here and ask your question live from the fair. Uh, grab another phone call. Dan's calling in from Cologne, Minnesota, I believe, this morning. Hi, Dan. What's your question? Good morning.
0: How, how easy is it to have just an organic uh, grass in your yard rather than spraying herbicides and all these other things? that my neighbors do. And it's really, I don't think it can be very healthy to do all that um, insecticide, pesticide, herbicide, or whatever it is they're putting on their lawn.
2: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, uh, I mean, there's a number of uh, lawn care companies that have very successful businesses uh, running purely organic programs. So it's certainly doable. Uh, And I don't think you have to be a professional to do that. Um, I will say that it really helps to have a nice starting point because once you remove the, the option for herbicides, uh, removing the pests, there's really very few organic options for selective weed control in lawns. So, uh, But really, proper fertilization and mowing, the, the same cultural practices we recommend, whether you're using uh, pesticides or synthetic fertilizers or not, uh, we still recommend the same things. Uh, I would recommend uh, something like a fine fescue or a turf-type tall fescue um, and uh, for those, to just because those are uh, fairly low input uh, and they can provide a, a, an area that is a little bit more difficult for weeds to encroach, uh, proper fertilization is, is the really key there, and there's a number of uh, organic fertilizer sources out there. Just keep in mind that many organic fertilizer sources are manure-based, and those would have phosphorus in them. And Minnesota has a phosphorus fertilizer law that restricts how much fertilizer or phosphorus fertilizer you can apply uh, to home lawns uh, provided they uh, you do not have a soil or if you have a soil test showing you have a phosphorus deficiency you can use them or if it's a new establishment you can use phosphorus containing fertilizers otherwise uh, that that's kind of a limitation with the organic method of of uh, of of having a lawn
1: all right very good great questions today we have a lot of them Here's another one, text-wise. We planted juniper bushes last July and noticed this year that their outer branches and needles look mostly green and healthy. uh, But the inner branches and needles and several of them are brown. Do you know if this is uh, normal for junipers or with the drought? Does it mean we need to water them more often?
4: Yeah, junipers are a great landscape plant. They're pretty tough. They can tolerate a lot. The good news is that you have new growth on the ends of these plants. So I'm guessing that, that the needles themselves have died. And you can just let those fall naturally. Be sure to be watering plants uh, well. And, and what does that mean? That means feeling the soil underneath them. And, and especially with woody plants is watering so that the top six to nine inches is saturated. So top, to, top six to nine inches of soil is saturated. And that will provide good uh, moisture for those plants. These plants have to hang on to their needles through the winter. So you want to be sure that you're really giving them good water throughout the entire growing season. Sometimes we kind of get nervous and we go, oh my gosh, fall's coming, I've got to water my evergreens. And you start dumping tons of water on the plants. You actually want to be doing a good routine watering throughout the entire summer. So think of that for next year. But in the meantime... Yes, definitely this juniper is probably fine as long as you see that new growth at the tips. But it's the needles that have actually dried up probably from the heat that we've had this year. And maybe if if these plants were planted in July of 2022, then it was probably a lot of winter damage too. We had a lot of snow and that could have also caused it too. But I'm guessing the plant is going to be fine, may not look so hot for a while, but it'll come back.
1: Not a lawn and garden question. We didn't ask you to bring your guitar today, but I know the, the abiders are <laughs> playing today, right no less, right?
4: Yes, we are. We're playing for uh, a public event called the Carp Fest, and it's not to celebrate carp. <laughs> it's to help raise funds for a carp project that we're collaborating, where you have a, a neighborhood association out in Lake Minnetonka, the Harrison Bay Association, and we're collaborating with the University of Minnesota Invasive Species Group, to uh, do some research on how to eliminate the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands or of cars that we have yeah. in our end of the bay. When and so no, where now? We are playing. Uh, you can actually, if you have a boat or a kayak, or you want to go to Center View Park in Mound, Minnesota, you can uh, go and listen to us. We're playing right along the lakeside at a private location. And you'll be able to hear us across the water. So, oh, nice. Yeah, so it should be pretty cool. Well, you're going to
1: have a perfect day for that. It's
4: going to be awesome. We All play right. from 2 to 5.
1: Hang on, everybody. We're going to take a break. We're live from the Minnesota State Fair. We have about another half hour of the Lana Garden Show live from the fair here. On Hang on, everybody. We're going to take a break. We're live from the Minnesota State Fair. We have about another half hour of the Lawn and Garden Show live from the fair here on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. Some things never change when you're live <laughs> at the State Fair. Uh, live radio. <laughs> Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We're here every Saturday, not here at the fair, but we're on CCO every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Any kind of a lawn or garden question today? Because we have Julie Wisenhorn from the U of M and John Traffy, the turf our turf guru. You don't mind that, John. The guru of sure. green. I don't mind it. <laughs> okay. From the U of M. <laughs> so if you have any kind of a lawn or turf question, today is, is your day. And we have that very thing right here. This listener is planning on aerating and overseeding in the late fall. Now, I plan on using, they say, a starter fertilizer. Is that okay for the last fertilizer uh, fertilization application for the winter?
2: It it can be so, uh, and you know, I would caution uh, the timing of when you're overseeding because uh, you either want to uh, aerate and overseed, uh, let's say, middle of September, uh, or you want to. Aerate, you know, middle of September and then overseed as a what would be considered a dormant seeding in early November. Uh, it's really just when you want the grass to germinate. If you're seeding now, you'd want it to germinate and emerge uh, this fall. If you're doing it in early November, you're effectively waiting until the springtime for it to germinate and emerge. And the starter fertilizer, like I said, uh, if you are, um, if, it's, if it's just a renovation, it's not a new establishment. Uh, that starter fertilizer, unless you have a phos- uh, a soil test report showing a deficiency of phosphorus, uh, just make sure the starter fertilizer doesn't have phosphorus in it. Uh, so, uh, but otherwise, that's a great strategy and and one that's uh, you know really been used for decades for for uh, improving a lawn.
4: And you've talked about the f- the phosphorus, and that's because we have phosphorus in. Our soil naturally. Yeah, we have
2: Minnesota's for the vast majority of the state, unless you're in kind of the sand plains, uh, the vast majority of Minnesota soils are uh, very high phosphorus. So, having phosphorus fertilizer, you know, phosphorus in your fertilizer is literally just, you know, if if the soil already has enough, the plants are able to take that up. Uh, You're really just wasting money if you're. Well, that's good to know. I didn't know that before.
4: One thing, too, I visited the soil testing lab uh, this past week with some master gardeners. And uh, Keith, who runs the lab, he's a research manager there, he is really recommending fall soil tests for a couple reasons. One is that the results are extremely accurate, just like they are throughout the year, but also because you miss that whole rush of spring where you've got a lot of, you know, out at the soil testing lab, they have lots of agricultural tests. They have tons of research tests. But, you know, get your t- soil test done now. It's ready for spring you don't have to worry about it in the spring. Mm. And we just wrote uh, an article about that in our yard and garden news from our website.
1: What's the process of getting your soil tested? Uh, so do you want to address that?
2: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, well, the University of Minnesota uh, Soil Testing Laboratory has a uh, webpage with, for all of the instructions for wherever you're, you're collecting a sample, whether it's your lawn, your garden, or if you have uh, an, a pasture or an ag, or an ag field, uh, any of those spaces would, might have slightly different uh, recommendations for which test you would have conducted, but really the process of collecting a soil sample is really simple, really similar across those areas. You're really trying to get a representative sample, so what that means is you'd go out and collect five to 10 for an, for an average size lawn or garden, uh, five to 10 soil samples within the top couple of inches where the plant plant roots are typically at, uh, and you're going to make a composite sample and then send that in, and uh, and that's a you know and typically they're 17 to 20 dollars per soil test sample. Uh, you can get the test results back in just uh, sometimes in a week. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit longer than that, but uh, it's a very simple process and there are instructions online. Very to...
1: reasonably priced.
2: Yeah, wow. and
4: we also have uh, good videos that talk about how to take a soil sample, show you how to do it, and then also how to interpret the results that you get. So that's a brand-new video that was out. Right. Uh, so those are some helpful tools for people because sometimes they are like, it's been a long time since I had chemistry.
1: <laughs> now, is that information available on the website? It is, well? yes. It is. It's,
4: it's okay. under on our website and, uh, yeah, under the nutrient section.
1: All right, extension.umn.edu. Extension.umn.edu. You betcha. Let's grab a phone call from Frank calling in. I believe he's still there, calling in from Roseville. Hi, Frank. What is your question this morning? Hi, good morning. Yes, um, this year I've had a a mushroom explosion in my yard, and I'm just wondering if if you covered this topic before. I didn't hear it, but I'm just wondering what might have caused that.
2: Well, those those mushrooms in your yard are typically coming from uh, what's called fairy ring, and it's a basidiomycete fungi that basically grows in a circle, and that circle just gradually gets bigger and bigger each year. Uh, But... They're, they're most often white or cream-colored mushrooms, uh, but there's really no uh, negative effects to your lawn uh, for where those are at. It's really just kind of the nuisance of the eyesore of seeing them. You know, a lot of people, uh, I, I have actually been getting a lot of questions about them this year, so for whatever reason, uh, they're uh, a little bit more prominent. Uh, but generally, once you have them, they're, it's a soil fungi. It's going to be around forever. There's really nothing you can do to treat them, to try to remove them. But it's not that you would really want to do that anyways because, like I said, there's no negative effects.
4: I think sometimes two people have been seeing uh, mushrooms growing in their mulch in their beds. And usually that means that you're overwatering that area. So you can kind of back off on the watering. Remember that mulch does a really good job at holding in moisture. If you see those mushrooms popping up in your mulch, just pick them off, put on some gloves, pick them out, or just kick them over. That's what I do.
1: Not a big surprise to Julie when uh, we have John on the air that we get a ton of, uh, and we asked for it, right? (laughs) Yep,
4: yep, I'm (laughs) good with that. I'm going
1: to give you a whole (laughs) string of lawn questions now, and then we'll get back to others. Uh, This one, how do I get rid of quack grass? First of all, what's quack grass look like?
2: So quack grass is, uh, most often you'll notice it first uh, along driveways, sidewalks, or the road. Uh, It's a little bit more drought tolerant, a little bit more heat tolerant. And it's a grass that spreads by really long, deep rhizomes. Uh, and you can identify it because it grows faster than your typical lawn grasses. And it's uh, you know, it's a, a little bit lighter green color. It has what we call clasping oracles. It's how the leaf attaches to the stem of the plant. Uh, and as far as how to control it, uh, I have some unfortunate news that there really is no selective measure for trying to remove quackgrass from your lawn without hurting uh, the rest of your lawn itself. So... Uh, non-selective herbicides like glyphosate or Roundup; uh, those are going to be your best option, but that would have to—that would involve having to reseed that area yeah. after controlling the quackgrass. But it's going to take several applications uh, over several weeks because of those deep rhizomes.
4: And it's hard to dig out.
2: Yeah, and manu- Yeah, thanks, Julie. So it's—it's it's really difficult to try to manually pull that weed. It's not something that you can just do from a, an organic or a manual removal.
4: Is there ever any discussion about a quackgrass lawn?
2: There's actually been <laughs> uh, so quackgrass is considered a noxious weed, so mm. it, oh, there's yeah. limitations on what can't you, do that. <laughs> uh, th- so there's limitations <laughs> on what you can do from a plant breeding and uh, commercialization of, of a cultivar. Right. But there have actually been some uh, attempts for quackgrass for trying to get special exemption for that because if it's you know trying to take the strategy of if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but I don't think that that's going anywhere just wow. yet.
1: Another turf question uh, this morning. I'm doing dormant seeding this winter. What's the best seed to use?
2: I would say, you know, it kind of depends on what you're looking to do with the strategy. I think, you know, I've, I've already mentioned uh, the fine fescues and the turf-type tall fescues twice this morning. But, um, you know, I, I'm a big advocate for those just because I think that they're a great fit for most people's uses of their lawn. Uh, whether they've got three kids and a golden retriever or they're just using their lawn from an aesthetic or, you know, their own personal enjoyment. So uh, I think those are great uh, fits. Uh, if you have a, a little bit more drought or uh, higher heat conditions, a little bit more traffic, I would lean a little bit more towards the turf-type pal fescues. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the fine fescues are super well adapted for, for most people's uses as well
4: and we use both of these grasses out at the foodscape which is a new development a new garden not development but a new garden that we've put together out at the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum at the farm at the arb and it's amazing the tall turf t- the, t- <laughs> the tall turf type fescue looks just like a beautiful lawn it's not like the fescues that the tall fescues that we think of as these big coarse plants
2: yeah that's it you know the tall fescue was originally bred for as a forage grass and so we've been you know we we have a different strategy for trying to breed turf grasses for lawns because we don't want a grass that grows and right. uh, produces a lot of biomass that needs to be mowed all the time so you know our strategies are a little bit different and so we've been working on breeding finer texture turf type tall fescues that uh, also are low low Yeah, it looks awesome
1: and I'm glad you brought up the Arboretum. We haven't talked about the Arb yeah. today, and that this is going to be a beautiful time to see the Arboretum.
4: It's a great time to come. You know, late Always summer is. is a fabulous place to see some of the more drier, the more drought tolerant plants, uh, some of the pollinator plants that really are blooming. The prairie is gorgeous. And also the gardens around the building, too. There's, you know, we go through these cycles of we come from the tulip bulbs in the spring, and now we're into these more asters, goldenrod. Uh, Some of the really beautiful fall colors that we have out there. And the trees, when they start to turn, uh, then we'll be looking at those, too. So it's a great time to be there.
1: And if you're going to get out there, if you're new to the Arboretum, uh, you have to register online. But it really makes parking so easy. I've said it before.
4: It does, yeah. If you're going to visit the Arboretum, whether you're a member or not, uh, you want to go ahead on arb.umn.edu and just click on Get Tickets, and that's going to step you through the process of getting tickets. If you're a member, they're free. It's simply kind of reserving your space at the Arboretum. And if you are not a member, you may find that you should be a member. It's simply kind of reserving your space at the Arboretum. And if you are not a member, you may find that you should be a member because then you can uh, just... It makes it even easier to go to the Arboretum. It's a
1: great place to visit and bring family and friends, to bring too. family. Yeah. It's
4: a great place to bring people from out of town, especially. They're always Indeed,
1: floored. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, 64 degrees now in the Twin Cities. Uh, cool. We feel that uh, breeze. It's a, it's a cool breeze <laughs> I'm not gonna here gonna at the fair. No, nobody's <laughs> complaining. And we're going to have more Lawn and Garden questions uh, right after the break, so stay with us here live from the fair, News Talk 830. And a good Saturday morning to you. We're back live from the Minnesota State Fair We're in the midst of our smart garden show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, at least on CCO, not. Every Saturday at the fair it would be kind of lonesome. No. here yeah. <laughs> A couple of months from now, everything would be closed. We have uh, Julie Weisenhorn and John Trappi, both from the University of Minnesota. We're talking really lawns and gardens. A lot of lawn questions, and I wonder, John or Julia, that's if, all right.
4: <laughs> I'm good with that. If it's uh,
1: <laughs> maybe because of all this dry weather we've had for the last two or three years, it's been really tough. A- anyway, here's another one: uh, established lawn, average lawn irrigation system, sandy soil. Yeah. Uh, with even slash odd watering restrictions, would it be better to water fifteen to twenty minutes per zone every other day or for thirty to forty minutes per zone every fourth day
2: Whoa, that's that, a, that's <laughs> a uh, that sounds like a softball question like a can, a can <laughs> question because that's like perfect for trying to educate homeowners on how to water their lawn so the ideal uh, watering if you are going to uh, intermittently water your lawn is to do that deeply and infrequently because you're trying to train the grass roots to grow deeper. And if you're watering every day or every other day, uh, the plants are going to know that they're just expecting the, the water. So, you know, their roots are going to be very shallow. Whereas if you're watering further time frame, you know, f- further number of days uh, between watering events, the roots for the plants will actually be growing deeper and you can train them starting in the spring uh, throughout the year. And so, uh, training them by watering a little bit higher volume of water more infrequently. And, and how frequent that is should really depend on your individual site. So this uh, homeowner sounds like they have sandy soils, so it might be a little bit uh, more frequent than uh, somebody who has a silty clay loam soil, for example. But that's the overall strategy, and, and how much and, and how often you're watering really is a site-specific question, Uh, I would recommend just literally going out and digging before you water and then again after and just dig down and you should be able to see how deep is the water getting Mm. and you can train uh, how much or how deep the roots are going to grow.
4: Would it help too to maybe top dress the lawn with some compost to build in some organic matter into the sand?
2: There there can be. I mean, grasses themselves are inherently really good at building organic matter. Uh, The natural prairies that we have that make that made the really great soils that we have in Minnesota and the upper Midwest in general, uh, those were grasses, uh, and they have the same growing pattern that our lawns do, just a high turnover of roots that produce a lot of organic matter over time.
1: Yeah. All right, Julie, here's one for you. When's the best time to plant new perennials in my flower garden? Should I plant them in the fall or spring? Also the best time to transplant perennials?
4: Well, the transplant question depends on the type of perennial. Some perennials really don't transplant very well. They have big, fleshy roots. Uh, for example, peonies are difficult to transplant. Uh, butterfly weed, Sclepius tuberosa is difficult to transplant. Baptisia. But you can do it. Uh, we have a good web page on dividing perennials, and it talks about when to divide plants. And that will give you an idea of some plants don't ever want to be divided. So transplanting them kind of goes along with that, that you wouldn't want to transplant those either. But you can still plant now in the fall. There's some really good deals at your local garden centers, uh, and so you can still do some planting. Uh, You do want to water those plants in well, uh, mulch them. You probably have, oh, maybe a couple, two, three weeks left to do that because you want those plants to reestablish their root systems uh, to carry them through the winter because they're going to go dormant then as soon as it starts to get cold and we want to be sure that they've established uh, themselves back in those new locations. Spring is really the best time to do the planting because the plants have the entire summer to uh, get established and go through the growing uh, growing season and then go into natural dormancy. So spring is the best. You can still do some planting now, though.
1: All right, here's another one for John, Julie. Just purchased a new home full of (laughs) crabgrass. I know it's an annual, but is there anything I can do about it now? There's too much to pull, and it grows too low for the lawnmower to cut off the seed heads.
4: It's kind of flat.
2: Yeah, so uh, crabgrass is a summer annual, so it it germinates in the spring. It uh, grows, develops, reproduces uh, in the early fall, and is dropping the seed. It's going to die. It's basically already started to slow down its growth. So Controlling it right now is, uh, is not advised because it's going to die anyways, especially by the first frost. So the best thing to do with uh, crabgrass is to have a dense, healthy turf to begin with. Uh, so, And I would start doing that this fall with proper fertilization. Uh, you could look at using a pre-emergent next spring, a pre-emergent herbicide. Uh, but I would, I would honestly just try to get a, a solid lawn established. Make sure you have a proper mowing height of 3 to 4 inches uh, at least. Uh, because crabgrass loves a lower mowing height uh, for turf, so uh, those those are your cultural practices. Uh, there are some, uh, like I said, pre-emergent herbicides for next spring, but the best defense or the best thing uh, weed control mechanism is a dense, healthy turf.
1: we have a few questions about trees. Folks wondering, is this disease or could it be getting a disease? Would you recommend uh, getting an arborist uh, out to your house?
4: Yeah, absolutely. In Minnesota, we're fortunate to have a lot of certified arborists. An arborist is kind of like a tree doctor. They go out, they assess trees. They can look at a tree uh, and assess it for health. They can assess it for structure if you're concerned it might be hazardous. And they can also do pruning for you. And they can also advise on planting, too, and also on types of trees that would be good for your location. So a certified arborist is really valuable. You can find information on that. We have a good web page on extension.umn.edu called How to Hire a Tree Care Professional. And there's a link there where you can put in your zip code and come up with any and all arborists that are in your area. So it gives you a head start. It's also good if you see people working with uh, tree care companies and uh, you can ask, you know, if you have friends or neighbors who are having their trees pruned. We just did this on our street. You might want to kind of collaborate with them uh, or find out who they're using, too. And that word of mouth is really helpful as well.
1: A couple of minutes to go on the show here from the fair. And my week and my uh, week, whole week would not be complete if we didn't attack... <laughs> Creeping Charlie a little bit here. It says, I like to renew my lawn, which is overtaken by Creeping Charlie and crabgrass. I'm thinking of planting buffalo grass. Are you familiar with buffalo grass and do you think it would work
2: in our climate? So uh, buffalo grass, it, it, I think it, it largely depends on where this uh, question is coming from. So it is a native turf grass. It's one of the only native turf grasses. Uh, it's very low input, uh, but it's a little bit more difficult to establish uh, it, it grows best in kind of the western, southwestern, southern parts of Minnesota. So, uh, it's a warm season turf grass. It grows best in the summertime, uh, but it is a uh, it is a very low input grass that spreads and creeps uh, and uh, and can do well. Uh, as far as the creeping Charlie is concerned, uh, you know a lot of times that is site specific, so it likes shadier, wet, wetter soils. So. If you, uh, you know, if you have those conditions, uh, consider trying to do something to alleviate that problem. Uh, otherwise, there are chemical options for trying to control it. Uh, triclopyr is the name of the active ingredient, the ibuprofen to Advil, uh, that is found in the herbicide. Triclopyr is the name. Uh, that's the one that works best. It's best to try to control it this fall uh, or in the fall, uh, and, uh, and it might take a couple of applications to do that.
1: All right, we've got sixty seconds to go. Julie, the abiders are appearing when and where We're today? We're playing at
4: Carp Fest on Lake Minnetonka at Harrison Bay, and if you got a boat or a kayak or want to go to Center View Park, you can listen to us from lakeside, and we start at two o'clock.
1: Get to the arboretum. That's another yes, point I wanted it's to mention. Yes, a reservation sure. for that. And by all means, check out the university website. Right. Give us that again, would you? Please?
4: Uh, extension.umn.edu Go to yard and garden.
1: Any final thoughts, John, about uh, maybe uh, getting uh, air, lawn aerated this fall?
2: Yeah, that's a it's a pretty good strategy for relieving compaction. It doesn't help much with thatch, but uh, soil compaction, and it can help with uh, renovating an area.
1: And you've got uh, some information about taking care of your lawns on the website as well,
2: right?
4: Right, and visit, you can visit John in the turf booth. Yeah, at the, oh, yeah
2: here at the State Fair in the Ag Hort building, uh, you know, we've got uh, turf experts that are answering questions all day, every day. Uh, we're between the Apples and the Brewers Guild. So. Perfect. <laughs> good place to be. <laughs>
1: yeah. all right, Thank you both. Good to see you both, Julie and John. Good to see John. you, Denny. Thank uh, you. Get those home improvement questions ready. Andy Lindis is going to be joining me live here on our porch or our... Our veranda here at our broadcast center here at the Minnesota State Fair. If you're coming out today, you've got a beautiful day to do that. We have an expected uh, sunshine-filled day with highs near 74. going to be 79 tomorrow. Right now on CCO, sunny. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts.
3: Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media?